This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. ...and evil. just want to say there's nothing wrong with getting knowledge and studying and, you know, um, but knowledge in itself does not give you a relationship. You can know a lot about God or you can know a lot about somebody, but it doesn't mean you know that person. It does help you that when you get to know that person, you sort of have a bit of background and you know, like, sure, this is, this is maybe some of the character traits of that person, but knowledge in itself puffs up and many times causes pride. But there's nothing wrong in studying and getting knowledge and skills, but the Bible actually uh, challenges us and asks us to get wisdom because wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. When I ask, and that's when I say, Lord, give me wisdom, it means I, I apply that knowledge, I apply the, the things I learn. So when I read the Bible, I should not just like try to get through the Bible, I should actually say, Lord, what are the, the first thing I ask when I read the Bible is I say, God, how do I get to know you better? I read the Bible so that I can know you. And then the second thing is I read the Bible so that I can know the principles in the Bible so that when I go out those doors, I can be obedient and apply the principles and the values and the character of God um, so that I cannot become a better person, but so that I, I can live out the word of God. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. So there's a challenge between the identity that the world wants to put on you and the identity that God says and who he says you and I are. And so... Genesis 2 verse 8 and 9, that's our theme scripture. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we made some statements. We said our identity in Christ is the key to real wholeness. There's so many things that are going to put pressure on you to become somebody or to be somebody out there. And if you and I as Christians are not secure in who God says we are, then we will conform to the patterns of this world. But the Bible says don't conform. Because conformity is just meaning I'm in a slipstream and I'm going to be like that. He says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And like um, some of the words came, you know... Um, who was it? Was it Ruday or somebody that, that brought Tineke? Tineke brought um, that word that says this. Many times we're not free in our mind the way we think about what God says about us. But the world's identity is all about power, position, wealth, appearance, recognition, and accomplishment. The one is on the outside because that was the problem in the garden after they sinned. They try to first hide themselves from God and the second to cover themselves. They thought like, I can actually hide from God. Their perception of God changed. And the second thing is, they tried on the outside to do something which should have changed on the inside. And that's the amazing thing that we've learned tonight is the fact that God is looking at your heart. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for how great a person you are. He says simply, I want to connect with you in your heart. I know everything about you. Do you know God has got all knowledge? Sure. <laughs> He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He sees the beginning from the end and he hasn't got any beginning or end himself. And so that's amazing that we can trust God and that he's faithful. So we must learn to be, not to do. And so before you are a student or before you're a dagbreaker or before you're a lidian or a 
whatever, yeah, you sign up and then, then you go to that school and maybe that school or that residence, they want to they wanna sort of, in a way, conform you to certain things, certain values, certain principles, a certain identity, so that when you walk up, you look like a dachbreaker. Have you seen the dachbreakers walk? Okay? They, they, they have a specific. Or, or when you go to the gym, you, you sort of, you walk with long pants on because you haven't got any calves to show because there's not like national like leg days. There's just nat- national big, big on top days. Have you seen the guys walk out of the gym? Yeah, They always walk with long pants because they, they I think we should make a national Tuesday national leg day. Is that, okay. Then we'll, then we'll make sure when the southeastern blow that nobody blows over. Okay. That's just a joke. So, <clears throat> But the crossfitters, oh, they're a different species. We'll, we'll um, pray for freedom later for them. Okay, cool. So, last week, just go to the next slide. We looked at the different Gospels. I actually got it wrong. Thanks, is Johan here. Johan, I love theologians because they always make sure you get everything perfectly right. And that must be so. So, we, I actually did a typo. The ox and the man turned around. Okay, so the, the mark is the ox. It's different. It's like in Revelations, there are these four pictures. And they represent the different Gospels because we have got four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. And they represent something to us. They want to show something to us about who God is and especially about Jesus. And so we looked at some of those scriptures in the book of Matthew. It was written to Jews, so you'll see a lot of Hebrew stuff and, and things that we don't ordinarily will understand in the book of Mark. We saw the, the servant of God, Jesus, and Luke was written mostly to Greeks, the philosophers, Christ as the son of man, and in John, Christ as the son of God. Jesus was called the son of man and the son of God, uh, meaning he was fully human, but he was also the son of God. And so we have this challenge that when we read about scripture, we, we look at Jesus and we say like, wow, he was also tempted. He was also in the same way as you and I were humans and are humans. Um, we, we go through temptation, we go through stuff and he was tempted in certain areas. Then we went on and we looked at the fact that there's a true father and there's a father of lies. And Jesus specifically said that the devil is a murderer and from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He, for he is a liar and the father of it. There's a massive contention in the world at the moment for identity. It's called an identity crisis. You know, it's gender stuff. It's, you know, tolerance stuff. And every second thing, the world has gone completely crazy. And you get this big word, entitlement. You know, everybody's entitlement, entitled to something, and you must be tolerant to that. And the goalpost has shifted. There is no more truth or absolute. There is truth, but the world wants to redefine truth. And yet God says there is truth. That's why Jesus made a statement. I am the way, the? I am the way, the? And the? So truth is absolute, and truth doesn't change because God doesn't change therefore God defines truth so don't for one moment think in your life like yo I'm so confused because what's going on the world does not define truth (laughs) because there's there's nothing that is absolute except God and his truth firstly so if we want to know truth we have to come to a person called Christ and from that place there is truth in your life that will give you identity security authority a destiny and a legacy (laughs) 
And you and I have to constantly decide, especially if you're a bit younger here, you know, when you grow up, the first couple of years, you're like connected to your parents, but then when you become a teenager, then you look to your peers to define a lot of your identity. And, and the things you take on in those, that time specifically will set out foundations for the rest of your life. And that's so important that you realize, especially if you're here and at school, that you, that you realize, sure, my, my peers do not give me that identity. It's only Christ that can give me my true identity. Because he's been there before time began. And so there is a true father and your number one father is God the father. Your second father is your natural father that he's given stewardship of you as a person to. And maybe he's been good, maybe he's been bad. I don't know. We'll have our stories. And some of us have got bad stories. Some of us have got challenging stories. Some of us don't, don't even know our earthly fathers. But the good news is that when we connect to God, once we get born again, we, be, we come into that place of freedom. So then we looked at the orphan. Jesus said in John, we read this, all those scriptures, there's an orphan. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come and stay with you. I'll come and abide with you. The right word that he uses there is, I will come and manifest myself to you and to the church. And so in this contention, in this time, we can expect that there's going to be a great revival that's going to break out when the church has positioned itself correctly. Because it's the most confused generation that has ever lived. <laughs> and that's why there's a confidence and a boldness needed in who God says you are and I am and the church is. But the devil wants to bring shame. And that's why Paul, a couple of times when he was in prison, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Because shame is different than guilt. Shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says, I have done wrong things. Shame is a deep root. But that same scripture that was read at um, Ulrich, Ulrich read it, he says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despised the shame. And he went to sit at the right hand of the Father. He despised, he made utterly nothing of the shame on your life and my life on the cross. And yet in the natural, he hanged naked on a cross. It was very embarrassing. It was like, whoa, is this the Son of God? If you look naturally. But spiritually, he went into the throne room of God. And the Bible says he took his own blood and he sprinkled it there. And he made a perfect sacrifice so that you and I can have access to the throne room of God. Because there's another person in the throne room of God that has got access to the throne room of God. And he's called the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses you day and night before God. But hallelujah, there's an advocate with the Father. <laughs> And there's a mediator that comes in and says, uh-uh, don't, uh-uh, whatever he's saying, it's, it's wrong because I've already paid for it. Once you've entered into that. Are, are you with me tonight? Okay, we've just finished with the introduction. So let's jump to the book of James. And I'm not just going to read a couple of verses. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Say the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So, so he begins to, to speak, and James, is, we don't have time to go too much into the detail, but 
But he talks about temptation and he talks about testing and he's, it's, it's, he's writing to the church in a great time of trouble and uh, when there's a lot of confusion around. And then he comes and he says, but don't say God tempts you. Because, you know, some people say, no, you know, I'm so sick, but maybe it's God's will. Because God really wants to, to tempt me through this. Now, God does not tempt because temptation leads to sin. And in essence, when God is good, he will test you because he wants your character to grow. But he will not tempt you. And that's why he says your perception of God must change. God does not tempt. Don't say God has tempted me. But he says what begins to happen, each one when he is tempted, he's drawn away, verse 14, by his own desires and enticed, entrapped. Then when desire has conceived, he says almost like, what begins to happen if you don't find your security and your protection and your identity and your approval in God, then what is going to happen is you're going to go out into the world and then suddenly you're going to begin to develop desires for that affirmation. And it's going to be like seeds that's planted in your garden and then what happens, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's going to trap you. It's going to start to grow over those beautiful rows, bushes and everything and then the desire, desire is going to be conceived. It's going to give birth. It's going to come up and then it's, when it's full grown, it's, it's actually going to be, mean spiritual death. So he's talking about the progression of the temptation has come. If you have started to open yourself up for that false identity and that stuff that the world wants to give. And now he goes on in verse 17. Are you all still with me? Say sharp, sharp. Thank you for enthusiasm. Okay. He says, every good, I want you to read this with me. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's, it's, it's a very loaded scripture. I'm going to try to do it in 30 seconds. But he says, this world gives, there's going to be temptations. There's going to be a lot of stuff in your life. And let me say this, when you are unsaved and maybe you don't know God yet, then the result of the gospel or the preaching of the gospel in your life should produce justification or salvation. If I preach the gospel, then you respond. You say, hey, I need Jesus. I, I, need, I need to be right with God. But if you're a Christian, then the main or primary focus of the gospel in your life is sanctification. Heiligmaking. Okay? And unfortunately today in the church, people don't preach sanctification anymore. We preach grace. We preach prosperity gospel. We preach everything else except repentance and sanctification. But the main primary result of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life as a believer is to sanctify you. It's called the word of truth. And so, so you can see the whole world, especially the church in the West, is shifting away from truth. But that's why this James writes and he says, you have to know God is steadfast. God is true. There's no variation. He doesn't like wake up with a bad hair day and say, oh, oh, I've got a headache. This hay fever here in the Western Cape is just too great. Oh, I've got a snotty nose. Oh, you know, this is not a nice day. Let me go to bed again. God doesn't wake up. So the amazing thing is, is every good thing and every perfect thing comes from the Father of light, meaning there's no darkness in him. And there is no change in him. There's no variation or shadow. God doesn't throw a shadow and then turn. He, he doesn't. He's the same. He's steadfast. He's sure. 
his truth and his absolute. And he says, every gift, every good thing that you have in your life, it comes from him. And, and therefore, he's the father of lights. There's no change with him. And he says, of his own will, his decision, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So God decided that you're going to live. And he spoke a word and says, there's going to be an Almiro. There's going to be a Stephen. Sure. There's going to be a Nancy. Huh? There's going to be a Victoria. Huh? Victoria? Amen. So God decided... There's going to be truth and God spoke forth that you're going to live. I'm going to live. You're not, by, not here by chance. Turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, you're a first fruit of his creatures. <laughs> so the amazing thing is, is God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't like... By chance, just say, hey, let's try to be weird. Let's try to be different. He says, he, he upheld us. He spoke. Even the, the sun, the moon, the planets, everything is, is held together by his absolute, his truth, his word. So let's look at the life of Jesus. And, and I'm just taking another bit of angle, so don't lose me. I know it's very hot in here. Take one breath every five minutes. Okay. So something profound happened in the life of Jesus. Remember, he was the son of man and the son of God. And so... I'm just going to give you those three scriptures. It was two times specifically when when God spoke over the life of Jesus. Now Jesus uh, was born of a virgin. And when people ask him, said like, how did you get born? Then most people would say, no, he got born out out of wedlock in adultery because his mother and father wasn't married. But we know it was by the Holy Spirit because Jesus wasn't born by two people. Otherwise, he would have had a sinful nature. He was born of God and born of a person. And therefore he could be sinless through all of his life. That's why he could be the perfect sacrifice. Because man could never be that sacrifice. Because we are flawless. Uh, we, we, we've got flaws. He's flawless. I mean, somebody just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speak that, you know. <laughs> perfect. Have you seen these puppies, you know. But, so, but the amazing thing is, so he's like perfect and and. and He's got, he's got no, you know, yet in this sort of thing he had to carry on him was like people would probably walk around and say, do you know what? He's illegitimate. Do you know what? He can't be the savior. Do you, do you know how this guy got born? They say of the Holy Spirit. Uh-uh. Mm. <laughs> no, no, there's something completely wrong. And you know what the worst thing is? He comes from, from around the corner. Nazareth. He's a Galilean. At a stage, they actually said, can anything good come out of Galilee? Do you know where I think Jesus would have gotten born today? He was probably in the slums in Mumbai. And when he walked the face of the earth, people would say like, uh-uh. <laughs> that, that can't be the Messiah. It doesn't fit our box. So there was a lot of labels, a lot of false identities that put, people have put on him. And so, so what happens is Jesus gets baptized. Like some people are going to get baptized tonight. And baptism is, is immensely spiritual spiritually significant it's not just something we do by going through water 
Because Jesus said it, you know, he comes on and John the Baptist, this prophet, he's standing there, he's proclaiming the Messiah's coming, he's making the way of the Lord. And then what happens is Jesus says, I'm, I must, you must baptize me, John. And he says, there's not a chance. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not even worthy to, to loosen your sandal straps. How can I baptize you? And then Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, it's so that all righteousness can be fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3 verse 15. You have to do this. Because something happened there. John the Baptist was of a Levite tribe, which was a priest. And he was the one sort of having this bridge between the Old and the New Testament. And he made the way of the Savior. And something spiritually happened is John the Baptist handed Jesus a Levitical priesthood authority by that baptism. That's why Jesus said, because you specifically, John the Baptist, you must baptize me. So that righteousness, what is righteousness? It means to stand in a right relationship before God, not to be ashamed. So if I say, I have the righteousness of Jesus, he's given me that righteousness, it means that I can boldly come to him and I can say, Lord, you've made me free because of Jesus. I'm not ashamed. It's not the old Simon standing here. It's Peter standing here. It's not the Saul standing here. It's Paul standing here when I'm in Christ. Now next week, Sunday, we're going to start with the book of Ephesians in the morning services. And there you'll see the, the theme in Christ. We're going to do it for four or five weeks. Just talk through the book of Ephesians. Because there's, it's probably the book that has got the best revelation on our position in Christ. But so then, Jesus gets baptized. And then two things happened in the couple of scriptures after that. The first one is, Jesus open, uh, the Father opens up the heavens. He stops everything and says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased profound words that Jesus probably never heard in his life by an earthly dad because we don't know what happened to his dad Joseph he probably died when he was very young but here God stops everything and says Jesus before you do great ministry before you great do great stuff you've entered through baptism into a position of not just identity but authority before me but you know what I love you and I'm pleased with you with before you do anything for me. Now that's crazy in a Western world, and for some of us that's grown up in a church, or in a school where everything is competition, and who comes first, and who's second, and who's third, and God doesn't have a first, and a second, and a third. In God's way of thinking, you're not competing with other people. You have a measure of faith, and as a family of faith, we're all running the race together. And that's why it says, look unto Jesus. Don't look to the one running next to you. You're not competing to the, with them. And so, so that's so profound, these two words. And then secondly, he sort of gave him that, that place of saying, listen to him. People, this is my son, listen to him. I affirm his calling. It's two of the three times where God the Father spoke audibly. So if Jesus needed it, you and I need it. <laughs> To hear regularly, God loves you and he's proud of you. No, but I, I did so many things wrong. No, repent. Enter into the righteousness of God because that's how you enter into that position. And he's pleased with you. He's taken your sins as far as the east is from the west. Sure. So we enter into that righteousness, into that identity. And we say, okay, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10. 
So, so God has created me in Christ, and in Christ I have a position, and I find my identity only in Christ, not outside of Christ, not how much I jump up and down, sing hula hoops in the church, and like, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, and oh, I go, I follow, I follow. How do you go with that one? Filio? No, no, you don't know. Okay, okay. okay but in any case. So now, Jesus, re- Jesus has got like this massive, amazing revelation from the father and all the disciples just probably thought like where does that voice come from you know 3d 5d 7d surround sound you know whoa everything shook god the father spoke that means it's great and then you go a couple of chapters further and then the bible says jesus was led into the wilderness by the holy spirit not by the devil And this is where we catch up in Luke chapter 4. And the devil said to him, to be tempted, he was fasting for 40 days. I love the Bible. You know, the Bible sort of sometimes just sort of says something on the side. Jesus fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. He was starving. (laughs) He was dead almost, you know. (laughs) Just like, yeah, yeah, he was hungry after 40 days of, you know. (laughs) Some of us like four minutes and we're like, oh, you know. That was the best fast ever, yeah. So, liquidized steak and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 days he fasted. And then he comes to this point where he's at the end of himself and this is where the devil comes. The devil says to him, if you are the son of God, all three of the temptations starts with exactly the same. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. It's an attack on your identity as a son of God, as a daughter of God. The temptation doesn't start, and now we're going to look at them quickly, but I just want to read through the scripture. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord our God, and him alone you shall serve. And then he brought him up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What a crazy one. I wish we had three hours just to spend on this chapter because it is, it is very, very amazing when you start to realize what the temptations were about. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the devil quoted scripture. So quoting scripture doesn't mean anything. <laughs> he quoted scripture to Jesus. But there's, there's sort of three temptations and I'm going to quickly focus on them and then we're going to pray and baptize people. The first temptation was Obviously, in the context of identity, of sonship, if you are the son of God, then obviously you need to prove it. And, and out of, you need to say, son of God or son of man. You're going to either do the stuff in the way the world does, or you're going to do it in the stuff that, in the way God wants. But the first temptation or testing of Christ comes in this form of the intellect, in the form of, hey, these stones, they're going to turn to bread. Do you know what? And then everybody's going to come out and they're going to 
They're going to eat and they're going to see you as the provider and you're going to have massive crowds, Jesus. You're going to be famous. You're going to be the provider. Isn't that what scripture says about you, you know? Nazariah and all that stuff, you know? You will lack no followers. Do it your way. Sure. <laughs> so it's just, because what's going to happen if these stones turn into bread? Everybody's going to come out. All the Israelites, they're going to come out and you're going to have your audience here. Then preach the gospel. Just, just go for it. Jesus says, uh-uh. It's not in the natural. My sonship is not found in the natural. It's not in what I do. The second temptation comes about worship. Using your will and your worship and, and almost in a way trying to manipulate God. And this is a scary one. Because, hey, it's nice things, you know, just, just do this, you know. And, and, and then what's going to happen is, People are going to worship you and, and they're going to do great stuff, you know. But how many times do we as Christians and as children of God try to manipulate God in our prayers? God, do you know what? If you do this, if you bless me in my exams, then do you know what? Then I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And how many of those just vaguely go away? How many of you have, how many of you have had New Year's resolutions? Put up your hand. Put up your hand very high. Oh, Hona. How many of you, it lasted only a week? Put up your hand. All the sinners in the house. How many of you, it lasted more than a month? Put up your hand. Wow, some guys, okay. How many of you have never had pride, the last group that has put up your hand right now? <laughs> the Bible says, don't take pride in your standing lest you fall, you know? The old King James that speaketh unto the earth, come henceforth. But the issue of worship and manipulating God by saying, God, I will do this if you do that. We see it in the church, we see it. But, but it's, a, it's, it's such a challenge because the moment when you go there and you put stuff in front of God and, and you become God actually then you will never be set free in a real sonship. Because God puts a definition to what that means, not you and I. And that's the problem that I have with prosperity gospel and all this grace stuff that people are teaching. They, they're just saying, hey, you're in control. You're in control. And you know what? Do this for God and then he's going to do this. And then people promise other people like mansions and Porsches and you're going to be a millionaire, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And I think like, this is crazy. This is not true. This is manipulation. And unfortunately, God isn't interested because it robs us from sonship, from our true identity. The last one is in our imagination, in our pleasure, in our power. The Bible talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You see, all these quotes out of these scriptures came out of Deuteronomy 8 that Jesus quoted. And all that has got to do with the condition of one's heart before God. And the freedom that he wants to bring if you and I render our hearts and not our garments. Not like, hey, I'm going to bring the outward and I'm going to jump up in church. And you know what? The best position in shofar apparently is there on the red line in front. 
Oh, now I'm the most spiritual ever. Because if people see me lie here, they're going to think I'm great. I surrender. But you can lie here on the floor and your head can be out. Ooh. Feels like that spotlight, you know? Jupiter is shining at me. No, but it's not about the outward. It's about the inward of your heart. Amen? And, and that's what God says in the, in the pleasures of your life and all that stuff. That's what temptation is about. And that's why God has got an issue with sin. It's not because he's like a sin conscious or he's like the spoil sport. It just, it robs you from your true identity. It robs you from fulfillment. It robs you from joy. The joy of your salvation. The joy of life. The joy of even when the, the greatest circumstances come against you and stuff doesn't work out. You can still say, I'm still secure. I can still worship him. And that's what the Bible is about, Daniel and Joseph. And it's not great stories. Have you written those stories? Daniel says, well, to the king, if you throw us in here, if God rescues us, sharp, sharp. If he doesn't rescue us, we'll still worship him. And then you see a confidence and a boldness in God. You see a Joseph that's in prison or most, many of the books that's written to us in the New Testament was Paul writing out of the prison. And then he says, in everything give thanks. Rejoice always. <laughs> and you think like, no, no, that's not natural. That is not natural. Why? Because it is not natural. Because God gives you a joy that surpasses life of knowing him and knowing who you are in him. Paul and Silas sits in the prison and they worship in the middle of the night. You know, 12 o'clock they worship. And what happens is the prison doors swings open. Boom, you know, people start running out and, and they just continue worshiping. You know, I must be honest, if I was Paul, I would have just said like, hey, Peter, or Silas, it wasn't Peter. Silas, let's go. Run, run, forest, run. You know, the door is open. God has delivered us. Let's go. You know. And they just keep on worshiping God. Later they realize like, whoa, all the prisoners has walked out, you know. What's happened? Oh, God has opened the doors. Whoa, great. Oh, let's minister to the prison warden. Let's lead him to Christ. Because there must be something bigger than just our freedom. There must be something bigger than just our breakthrough. And so the, the devil even comes and, and that's what, the, what happens when the world creeps into the church. Brings us a false hope and a false joy. And it's all got to do with your identity in Christ. But that's why we're talking about this. Because we realize like God has never promised us a great life. He's promised us great joy and fulfillment in him. And that comes by faith, that comes by obedience, that comes by sometimes when people say nasty things about you and nasty things about the church and you can still say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. <laughs> oh, are you, are you in that shofar church? No, 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 no. Rather go, it's, this is too tense, you know. How do you pronounce that name? Shofar. Why do people make it so difficult? 
Because that name means something, just like your name means something. Martin, what does your name mean? Do you know? Huh? What does your name mean? Free one. Free one. So. That's, that's a cool name. And you play then, huh? He's the local vet. That pick and pay? Mm. But he's the free one. Huh? Pierre, what does your name mean? Rock. Yo, I can see it in those muscles, eh? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, sit up straight. That's like, no, bend your back. That's a like, uh, Huh? Ravi, what does your name mean? Teacher. I know that. You can see that. That's what I love about Malawian people. They're just like smiling all the time. Hmm? Teacher. So find out, Christoph, what does your name mean? The bearer of Christ. Whoa. Sure. It's a, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Okay, I know. Ulrich, what does your name mean? Huh? Noble leader. Whoa. Robin, what does your name mean? Shining. 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 <laughs> sure. You need to have lots of sunscreen for the people around you. <laughs> Shining. Sure. But it's so crazy. You've got a name and you've got a spiritual name, you know. And that's what happens is when, when the seven sons of Sceva and the book of Acts run they try to cast out demons in the name of Jesus and then they say, well, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? <laughs> because there's a, there's a spiritual significance to your name. There's a spiritual significance to our name as a, as a church. And it's profound. God has given us that name. <laughs> but the devil wants to shame it. That's why there's sometimes bad rumors. But the moment when you say the name of Jesus, and have you noticed it's not like the world is not saying the name of Jesus in vain. Have you, have, you, have you noticed the latest movies in the last 450 years? How long has been movies around? Huh? Everybody wants to blaspheme, but they don't blaspheme any other God's name. They will just use the name of Jesus in vain. Why? Because the devil knows. Break down the identity and the authority of Christ to the world and they won't know. But there's a church rising up. There's a church standing up. Say, so we're not ashamed. The name above every other name. And that's why one day in heaven, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall say it. Now we have an opportunity to either blaspheme or to reject the name or to worship that name. But every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the, of the Father. He came to glorify the Father. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.